One thing I want you to do for me. What? Come here. When? 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 What are we waiting for? Take us! Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, episode 73. My guest today is my buddy Justin Hayes. Justin and I met in Seattle a couple years ago, and uh, he's a good dude, very funny comedian, and he joins us today. So, all right, let's do it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I've only been to New York a couple times, and it seemed like, um, what would you say performance-wise is the difference, like the... uh, um, what would you say the difference is in the comedians in New York versus L.A.? Well, it's hard to tell the difference if you're talking about beginning comics. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess the difference in the comedians is content a lot. There's a lot of, I guess, regional jokes that I've heard here in L.A. that, that just won't translate if you go to New York with those. Yeah, I'm sure the comics who did it are clever enough to know that. Uh, but... I think the the mood now in New York is to just be spontaneous, mm-hmm. and that's what everybody's reaching for, and that's the unfortunate part when you go to open mic, because you got a bunch of people who were never entertaining in the first place trying to go off the cuff, and so it's about you know three to five minutes of rambling. Um, but as far as professional comics, I guess that's the that's the arena to go to. Yeah, you know, the spontaneous, the fluid. The right now, just off the top of your head, kind off of thing. the top, yeah. yeah. If you're funny right now, then you're just you're a funny person, and you're given all that leeway. So yeah, then well, you can break the jokes out. Well, I'm sure Dave Chappelle has had plenty of uh, influence on that because I've been watching him here recently. He'll come up to the store and do like an hour, and uh, he's so good at just being in the moment, you know. And problem with that, and I say that in quotations, is that so many people try to do it, like yes. you touched on, who don't have that ability. And it's like, it took, you just mm-hmm. want to go, hey, fuck face. Yeah. It took a long he built this brand. time right. for him to get that comfortable. Right. You know, it takes a long time to get that way. And the reason, I say this almost every podcast, it seems like lately, especially, the the better you are at it, the more easy, the easier you make it look. So everyone's right. like, I can do that. Well, he, man, that's so easy. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, and, yeah. And, or it's the other way where comics who are really terrible go and do a show, and then people are like, "Wow!" And then you end up with a bunch of open micers the next day because of that show. Yeah, because they were so bad. Yeah, at that show that they felt like they could just, man, I could be at least that good. Yeah, I could get paid to do a show. Yeah, how uh, how it, you know it still gives me confidence sometimes when I walk into the. Uh, like comedy store is about the only place that really makes me nervous still. Yeah, what about this right here in the world famous comedy store underneath the OR yeah. right now? It's yeah, crazy. Yeah, it is cool. And uh, but sometimes I'll go and I'll watch certain. I'll, I'll, I'll I like to watch a bad comic and be like, well, <laughs> it, that's always made me feel better. Be like, well, you're gonna be all right. I like a, I like to watch a good comic <laughs> do bad. I like to watch the humbling experience for him. You know, as long as it isn't mine. Yeah, it's always good. <laughs> yeah, there's there's value in that too. But uh, uh, how long have you been doing stand up now? Um, oh, s- over seventeen years. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Close to hitting the twenty mark. 
What are your favorite kind of audiences? Ooh, you know, I, I always hear that you do really well with black audiences. I do. I do urban. That's really where I started was urban stuff, man. Thank goodness there was, you know, two different platforms where I'm from because uh, I was already dead. I was already able to get a bunch of experience under my belt before I even took on clubs uh, around the Seattle scene. But yeah, urban rooms. I love doing urban rooms, man. Um, black audiences, young audiences. I don't. I don't know. I don't think that I have like a certain type, mm-hmm. and I don't think that I change my material based on having, um, you know, a diverse audience versus like one of those from your hometown. You know, it's like this. Yeah, I I think that you. Uh... The goal should be when you start out doing stand up to be able to learn how to make everyone laugh. Right. You know, so many people are like, ah, oh, that's not my crowd. I'm like, well, they, do they speak English? Right. Because then they're. You your had crowd. a chance. If, yeah. if they spoke English, you had a good shot. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, in New York, like I was saying, they bark a bunch of people in from Times Square. So sometimes, you, I mean, if you speak another language, it benefits you because yeah. it's a lot of. I've had nights at Broadway Comedy Club. And it was all people from other countries. So, I mean, if I spoke French, German, Italian, and every other European country uh, there is, then I probably would have been doing well. But nobody did well because nobody understood the English. Yeah. So it's kind of a hard. Which is why the OR is hard sometimes because sometimes you have those cl- those those audiences where you you like you start polling polling the audience. You're like, oh, you fuckers aren't even yeah. you're not even American, and like yeah. some of this stuff is getting lost in translation. <laughs> yeah. You know. That's how I justify it too. I just I pretend like they're all foreigners always. Yeah. If it's one of the worst gigs I ever did, there was uh, we did a Friday night and then a Saturday Saturday day. And Friday night was this awesome military show. Nice. And the next day was, it was at noon, and there was like 12 people in the audience, and I think 10 of them didn't speak English, and the other two had seen the show the night before. And right, and right before I went out, I was, I was only been doing comedy a year or two. Right before I went out, the guy that was headlining goes, Gaither, these kind of gigs, it's okay to do other people's material. What? Because <laughs> it was such a shit gig. He was like, just get through no it however you have. Yeah. Um, that is crazy, though. That is the worst advice I think I've ever heard. It was It was pretty funny at the use time. Use other people's material. <laughs> he goes, Gaither, it's okay to do other people's stuff. I think that's wrong. You know how you've <laughs> ever tried to tell somebody's joke who you thought was, you know, you thought they told a really clever, funny joke, and then you try and retell it, and it's yeah. never the same? Yeah. I don't think you should ever try somebody else's joke for no, that reason No, I agree alone. with you, but I think he was just saying, this gig sucks. Is could not matter less. Right. So you do what you have to, young man. And I think I did more time than he did. I, I did like 35 <laughs> minutes, and he did like 30 and got twice the money. You were still it. ambitious then. He was yeah. like, ugh, let me just sweat this out. Yeah. You and know he, about he, that now, right? Like, What's that? You know about that, where he's coming from now. Oh, That's yeah. the funny part. Yeah. Is I like when we get together because we always talk about like the comedy basics. You know, those things that fit no matter where you're at in the country or no matter what level you are. There's the basics that you follow. Everybody has their own individual yeah. style and the way they do their jokes and their own voice. Um, but there's some basics that you need to stick to. It's funny how everybody's trying to cut the corner or they're trying yeah. to compensate for the time that you need on a stage. And there it's like, are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. You need to put in the time on the stage. You need to go do what you have to do for a club to get some time on the stage. Everybody's done it. You know what I mean? Don't swallow your pride. 
Yeah. Quit thinking you're going to be a headliner next week. Quit trying to book your own room and make yourself the headliner because now everybody knows how bad you're going to be if they ever book you. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's... Just it's, learn how to do it. You know? Get some jokes first God damn. before you compete. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Five um, minutes of rambling is not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Dang it, I, I had a thought that I, I lost um, about that. God dang it, what the heck are we talking about? Uh, which one? Just just now. The comedy basics? Yeah, the comedy basics. Um, ah, God damn it, it's lost. It's gone forever. It's gone. Oh, well, that's what happens. On to the next thought. That's yeah. what happens when, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I just had Brian Scalaro in here, and we were talking a little bit about having a kid, and you've got four of them. Oh, God. Yes. I can tell you all about having them. What are the age ranges again? Uh, 25, 25, 13, and 5. You have two 25-year-olds? Yeah, a month and four days apart. Really? Yeah. I still have people ask me if it was the same mom. I'm like, yeah, totally was. Wow, so... uh, Irish twins. Was that a stressful time period for you? Yeah, I was 19, man. You were 19 and had two kids coming. That's a Tacoma standard there. I think I was a little behind, you know. (laughs) I was slow. Yeah, exactly. It's Tacoma, man. You're poor. What are you doing? Yeah. Make kids. So you had two coming from two different mothers at age 19. Yeah, so I joined the army. Yeah. To try and get away from those brats. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I had to pay for them somehow. So uh, college was put on hold, and off to the Army I went, yeah. Yeah. I joined the Army to see the world, and I got stationed in my hometown. Are Fort you Lewis. shitting me? No. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's funny. How long were you in the Army? Um, oh, five years. Okay. So, two enlistments. Okay. And you have a son that's in the military, too, right? I do. He's in, uh, well, he's at Fort Lewis now, which is cool because he's back up with family in the Northwest. But, yeah, he joined. I didn't want him to join, uh, you know, because I felt like we've done enough. But he, he was destined to do it. So yeah. he, it follow every one of my footsteps, yeah. uh, even with the two kids, two different moms. We'll see how that ends up in the <laughs> long term. He's got a little time before the 13-year-old. So you're grandpa Justin, too? I'm grandpa a couple times over. My daughter, who's also 25, made me a grandfather, too. Okay. Yeah. Did you enjoy having kids? I did not enjoy having kids. I, <laughs> what a, what a I refreshing would, answer. I would advise against it. What a refreshing uh, answer. No, I do love having grandkids. No, There is no replacing kids. I mean, there's this... There's this love that you just, it's an endless love. And I, I could talk all the crap in the world, but of course I would do anything for my kids. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this, you'll know soon. You'll know very soon. You'll, yeah. once you hold that baby, man, you're going to know. You know what worries me, Justin, is I'm one of those people who people are always like, oh, this is great. You got to try this. You got to try this. And they talk it up so much that mm. I try it and I'm like, yeah. Misery loves company, man. <laughs> so I'm afraid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People talk all this shit, and then I'm going to have one, and then I'm like, ah, you fucking idiot. It's you like you ruined they your smell life. something terrible, and they want you to smell it. It's like, dude, I did it. I need someone to be miserable down here with me. Yeah. Yeah, my kid, it's weird being in my early 40s and being an empty nester pretty much. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like kids that are grown up with their own kids. It's weird. Yeah, um, it's I a definitely went the opposite route. My sister has has six kids. She would have eight. She had two miscarriages, and my brother has Oof. five. Um, so 
Are you guys Catholic? No, between my, <laughs> my between my brother, like my sister, family, and two first cousins, there's like 28 kids or some wow. shit. Wow, my mom's one of ten, so I know big families. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So my sister at one point, you know, I was I'm five years younger than her, four years younger, something like that, and. You know, I was a teenager, and I remember her coming out and being like, I'm pregnant again, and I, I just go, Lori, there Jeez. are ways to prevent that. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, it reminds me of that old Stephen Wright joke where she's like, where he's like, uh, my girlfriend and I were using diaphragm and condoms and IUD, and the kid was born wearing armor. Right. <laughs> he came out resistant up, to I fucked this. up the yeah. joke. See what I mean about yeah. doing someone else's material? Yeah. If, if you'd have done his joke that night, you'd have tore it up. But you know, it's funny, too. I can never remember my jokes unless I'm on stage doing them. Really? Yeah, like when it comes to... I mean, I can. I hate when they pop like, into your head in the conversation yeah. and then you throw it. You're like, shit. Not too long ago, a couple years ago, I was in Richmond, Virginia, and I was running on the treadmill, and sometimes I go through my like set list in my uh-huh. head while I'm running and I just all of a sudden could not remember anything and I almost had like a panic attack about it like fuck I don't remember my act right how like, can you not yeah and then you know the show's in like an hour and right. I have to like go into my room and like calm the fuck down and be like dude you're, you're gonna be alright you get up there and it just comes back to you right. but I'm sure you had those shows where you're just like blanking in the beginning I can't remember anything what, what I, am I gonna do yeah I always do a different set so I mean it, it could be the same jokes that I did the night before but it's in a different order yeah I always try and throw something out that's a little like current or right now because then that gives you that credibility of that off the cuff comic right. you know what I mean who thinks of it on the spot which is what every fan wants to think is that you think of these jokes like right now you didn't craft them for 10 years making them great you know yeah um which is the goal right to make it look like to make it look that easy and bring more open micers to to the shows what was the line like yesterday here at the store it was like i didn't i haven't seen it but was it crazy it was it was so crazy it was like it wound around the patio and then went outside out toward the main room down the street Everybody signing up for sixteen spots on a Monday. That's Every crazy. Monday's like, like trying out for last comic standing. Or oh something. my god, that's wow. crazy. Yeah. Oh shit, I didn't realize. I've, I've never been here at that time. I didn't realize. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. So that many people want to be comedians these days. Uh, yep, and I blame you. <laughs> <laughs> it is your fault, Tim. You did this. It, it, it's 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 not all good, man. It's not all I'll good. Tell you that it's getting so hard to sort. Yeah, there's, it's so watered down, and some people, like I was telling somebody, it's hard to remember what's real life and what's podcast stuff, so I'm sorry if I'm repeating anything, but I was telling someone the other day, I was like, it's flat out insulting some of the people who are like, oh, I'm a comedian. And it's like, yeah. it's like just because I'm not famous mic. doesn't mean we're on the same level. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> and people, you know, if you say that to the wrong person, people will be like, oh, he's bitter. No, I'm not or bitter. Or he's... he's it's conceited just, or stuck on yeah, himself or something. Yeah, it's no, got no. nothing to do with that. It's, it's just flat out dues. insulting. To I be did like, the work. Like, I'm a writer, too. You wrote an essay in college. Right. I wrote a book. Right. You know, like, fuck What'd off. What'd you publish? Yeah, I'm a doctor. No, you put a niece on your... You put a Band-Aid on your niece's All knee. Right. You're not a fucking doctor. Right. No, I, I kind of am a doctor. I've done triage. No. No. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's, we, we talk about this a lot. It's like one open mic and your Facebook status is now comedian. Yeah. You know, and it it's just, there's no, 
I don't think there's any more of that hierarchy of comics who just told you you're not ready yet. Just, yeah. you know, calm down. You'll get it in time. Yeah. Just do the work. There's, it just doesn't seem... It probably got lost. Based on that line yesterday, there's probably just too many to corral. It's it's free range now. Nobody can... Yeah. I, I hold every city responsible for their own comedians. All the... All the veterans of those cities. And, you know, there's great comics all over the country. You know this as well as I do. Yeah. You go to these places, and there's these guys who are famous in the middle of the country who you've never heard of, but everybody in their city knows who, who they are. Yeah. And they've probably done some cool stuff. They've been on some things that, you know, comics are easy to forget because they do five, seven-minute spots on a on a Tonight Show, and yeah. we all think they're famous, but people are like, oh, I'm, I think I remember that joke or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but very good comedians all over the country. So I hold these veterans responsible for the comics of their cities. Because yeah. you got to set the rules. you got to yeah, set the guidelines. Yeah, you need to tell them certain things like this is what the light means. And yeah. this is why you're not, don't do crowd work in front of this guy. And this is why you don't do, there, there are unwritten rules that yeah. need to be known because there's a, a, a reason for all of this shit. Exactly. There's a reason you do 10 and he does 20 and right. he does 45. It's it's not Thunderdome where you, right. the, the headliner does two hours and the guy in the middle does 45. It, there's a fucking reason for right. it. People get tired of doing anything, even laughing. You so. air them out. Yeah. You, yeah. You wear them out. That's why it's bad when headliners drop in and go, hey, I got to leave. I'm going to go into the middle of the show and, and ruin the whole hour. dynamic. Yeah. yeah, they suck all the wind out of the room and then leave it to these less experienced guys. I don't like that movie. There is a veteran comic. I don't like it. Yeah. It's, when I'm running a room, if a comic or if I book a headliner and they come in and say I need to go, then I said, then you shouldn't have booked my room tonight. You're going on at the end. Yeah. So that's the way the show's gonna go. I don't let them bulldog me around. Yeah. You know, as comics, I think it's easier too. You know, because you have your own reputation, you have your own steam that you're pushing. You know, so they're not gonna come bulldog you as much as like any other booker or some guy who wants to be a comedian, open mic, or booked a room. You know, yeah. they'll be. They can push them around. Or even, you know, big markets like L.A. and New York, too. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. And they let it happen because you're not going to walk your, your only person on the show with a credit. Everybody else is a bringer. Right. You know, so. Did you start out in Tacoma? I started in in Tacoma, Seattle scene. That's yeah. a great area to it's be a comedian. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it? In Tacoma, especially, because our, they have a club there now, Tacoma Comedy Club. It's a beautiful club. It used to be called Juno, and it was an urban room, which I did a long time before it was Tacoma Comedy Club. But before T Tacoma Comedy Club was there, there was Tacoma Comedy Underground, which was associated with the Seattle Comedy Underground. And that that's where I started. It was great. Okay. It, every Wednesday night, they had a full audience for open mic. Yeah. And they had a manager, Jason Stewart, who would tell you, if you showed up at the same five minutes three weeks in a row... He'd tell you to be gone for the next three weeks. Come back when you have new material. And so huh. he would he would force you to write. He'd force you to be creative. Yeah. If you weren't working on the joke, because you could come back and do the joke if you're still working it out. He right. had no problem with that. But if you had that worked out and you're starting to get that killitis, you know, where you come and your five minutes is hitting and you do that same five yeah. minutes, you're out of there. You're yeah. not back for three weeks. So you got a month to go rewrite something else. Jason so, Stewart, comedian? Or yeah, yeah. Uh, gay dude? <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but I don't think he is. He's got some kids, but okay. Uh, but okay, so now I think he different. is. No, okay. um, he he's uh you know went out with Craig Gass on the Howard Stern stuff, and uh, okay. he was managing the Comedy Underground back then. Um, lots of comics 
manage but the it, club. But it, it, yeah, it's important. I think you know a lot of clubs have gotten away from that, but some clubs have uh, managers or general managers that used to be comedians. And I tell you what, it makes all the difference in the world yep. to have. We had Jason Dixon, and he just had these pearls. He would just walk by and just fucking drop them on you, like as he was walking by, or have a tagline and be like, oh, I thought of something. Yeah. You don't have to use it, but it's fucking going to be great. That's another thing. <laughs> People don't help each other anymore, which is weird. Like, we, we used to, this is why I think the Seattle scene, well, used to be this creative, is we would all sit around, we'd throw out our premises, mm-hmm. and maybe already have our punchline, maybe not, maybe have it set up with a punchline. And then everybody would go tag it the way they would have done it. And you get every other perspective. The thing is, is then that's that person's joke too, right? And the thing is, is that comedy just gets better. Because now you have a joke that appeals to everybody. And the whole scene gets better. There's no more group think. It's all, I got to keep myself. You know, I'm going to write to myself. I'm going to do this. Well, you're just not that creative. I don't care how funny you are. Mm -hmm. You're not going to come up with every situation and make the setup and make the punchline exactly how it has to be to be hilarious. You need help writing that or you need someone else's input to get their view or perspective to be funny to them. So yeah. I don't understand why people are all, you know, holding everything in or trying to do everything on their own, trying to, they, they think it's a competition and it's really not. What you're doing is competing to make your city the best market. Yeah. So if everybody's good, that's a that's a good market and that that's, has a lot to offer. And the funniest things uh, often come out of, of good conversation. You know? Right. Like if you're sitting around with a buddy and you guys riff on something and it's funny, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's easy to just steal it, for lack of a better way to say it. Just steal it out of that conversation. Well, it's not really it, stealing. Make, no, it's not stealing, but, yeah. but, but it's not like, it's like you guys just wrote this joke and now you just take that phrase out of that conversation mm-hmm. and wrap it around a joke and you're like, yeah. Oh, got it. Yep. Yeah. That's, like, I mean, all of my stuff is observation about my own life. So that's how jokes happen. You know what I mean? It's a real life and you, you exaggerate it a little bit to make it more hilarious. And there's your joke. But please have a punchline if you're going to make a joke. I, I don't know what happened to the disappearing punchline yeah. in comedy today. It's gone. Yeah. It's somewhere. I've heard everything from, you know, to be a punchline to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I mean, right? Right? Yeah. 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 So that's the punchline today, and that should change. Yeah. And and there's that, that pause thing, too. Uh, Are we just grumpy old men complaining about the millennials? Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so either. A lot of people... We're talking about new comics. It has nothing to do with millennials. They could be any age, new comics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it doesn't have to be an age. But I, like I was telling Brian on the last podcast... Um, uh, Dang it! What was I telling Brian? Oh man, you forget a lot of stuff. I know this <laughs> legal weed they're blowing around in LA is just getting you all messed well, dude, up. Dude, it, it smells like pot. This Everywhere entire, you this walk, entire city. But it's not legal in New York either, and it still smells like pot. Everywhere you walk, yeah, you, from window to window, you're like, Phew. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, it's. I'm also I, I I rarely do two podcasts in one day, and I was. I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying not to like repeat stuff that Brian Scalaro and I talked about, and I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. It's a different dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll probably have the same perspective though. We actually lived in the same neighborhood, man. Scalaro. He, oh, he you lived did? in Glendale, Queens. And oh, I so lived you in knew Glendale, him out Queens. there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you weren't just introduced to each other? No, no. Okay. Yeah, it's funny. So yeah, Glendale, Queens. Yeah. What are the chances? Huh. Yeah, I like Brian. He's. Uh, 
we're, we're not going to sound any grumpier than him. There's no. no. <laughs> That's the New York thing, too, just to be angry. You know what I mean? Your rant with your accent, I think, is the only thing that makes you New York. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, what was it like growing up for you in Tacoma? What was your childhood like? Oh, man, we were poor. We were broke. Yeah. Yeah. I was also uh, five years younger than my closest sibling. I had two older sisters. Um, and we were broke, man. We, we were definitely poor. Did you get evicted a lot? We got evicted a lot. We, we had to do what we called the midnight move yeah. where whatever fit in this garbage can is what was going with you or this garbage bag. I mean, is what was going with you that night, yeah. uh, to jump from rent to rent. I went to about every school in Tacoma. That's funny. So they're like, what school did you go to? And I was like, you name it. Yeah. You know, I've been there. Uh, I went to an elementary school close to Tacoma. It was a little outside of Parkland or excuse me, a little outside of Midland when my mom married up when I was real young. And uh, it was called Harvard Elementary School. Nice. So I can tell people I went to Harvard yeah. and take a lie lying. detector test and pass. Yeah. That's great. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I didn't go to Harvard. Um, but I was the same way. I got we, we, we moved a lot because we had to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I also wrestled when I was a kid. So we'd go to all these little towns, you know, in our you know, within a 40-mile radius. So when I was in high school, we could go to a party just about anywhere, and I would know people. And my friend Brian Hope was always like, you fucking know people everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, because we met, we went, I probably went to 10 different schools growing up. Yeah. And then wrestling, you go to all these small towns. So I literally would just know everyone. Yep. But getting evicted was the worst, and especially because... Um, Being poor was the worst. Yeah, when you go home and that that eviction notice is on the door. (laughs) And And we always lived in an area where, not that we lived in a rich area by any means, obviously, but um, a lot of the kids I went to school with didn't understand that kind of poverty. I say like I'm living in Africa or something, but um, they would come, my friends, every now and again, I'd have someone over. It was always on the day that that eviction notice would be on the door. You know, it'd be on right. all this tape on it. <laughs> it's shit, orange. You, know? you yeah. can't rip it off the door. It yeah. shreds. You're yeah. like, shit. And they're like, what, what was that? And I'm like, nothing. Just uh, get inside and I hope we don't just... need to use a phone because we don't have one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you do, it's in your name. I told people all the time that our phone was broken. Yeah. You know, I'd be like, can I use your phone? i like, ah, it's broke. something wrong with the line. Yeah. <laughs> something wrong with the line there isn't one that's exactly what's wrong with it yeah i i remember growing like eight inches in one year or seven inches something like that in one year and we were so poor i just could not get clothes all of my pants were high waters yeah i had to wear flip-flops because my feet just kept growing out of shoes you know <laughs> and there's no hand-me-downs with two sisters right it's gonna be weird if you do but uh yeah, it was bad. I mean, it was all sweats that year. It was all, dude, I would buy a pair of pants. My mom would buy me the cheapest pair of pants, of course, because we were poor. And, like, in a week, I, they were already an inch. And I thought it was just because, like, I was drying them too hot or something was happening with these yeah. jeans. But then I went from, like, five foot one to five foot eight in one year yeah. in middle school. So. poor mother. My, my poor my my poor me. I've got stretch marks on my ass from it. That was a wild year. That was a rough one. I mean, just paying for all that shit. Oh, like, she paid for a lot of stuff. Though. And food, too. I went yeah. through yeah, crazy amounts of food. But I was just skinny as a rail. I was like 5'8", 130. You know, just yeah, skinny. I had, a, I had a growth spurt like that. I gained like 
30 pounds and five or six inches in one year, and everyone thought I was going to be huge, and that was seventh grade. And I just never quit. <laughs> I never started growing again. It was like, God damn it. If you would have only known in seventh grade, that was the end of the spurt. So, yeah. dang it. In eighth grade, I wrestled 135, and in my, my senior year of high school, I wrestled 140. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and grew maybe. You're still wrestling eighth graders. Yeah, grew yeah. maybe a half an inch. Yeah. Um, no, it, yeah, it was weird. I went into the army really, really skinny. And then you just do so much work in the army, especially when you're training. I just stayed skinny. They tried to put weight on me. I just, I think I maybe came out of the, all the training like 150. Is it true when you're small or thin in the military, they put a sign on you that says like feed double or some shit like that? You do, you do get more food uh, as you you go. You just don't get any time to eat it. Okay. It's fine. You can go to whatever line you want when you're in basic training. Well, what I was, but they'd be like, hey. You have five minutes from the time the last guy walks in. So if you were the first guy in line, that's great. You got to eat your whole thing, maybe get a second glass of water. Uh, but yeah. if you're the last guy in there, you're lucky to get some bites to eat, you know. Did you enjoy the military? Um, some parts of it. Yeah. I got to go to Europe because of it. Um, I got to learn German, live in Germany. Um, but mostly, no. Yeah. I don't like waking up early and I hate running. Yeah. So two things that don't go well with the military. Yeah, and then you started comedy after you got out of the Yeah, army. but it was a while. I I came out, um, you know, went to school, um, worked a bunch of jobs, worked, you know, and then started doing open mic. And I would go every night. I would uh, go to work, um, go home, you know, make my kids food, and then go hit open mic. You know, by this time, my the 25-year-olds anyway were a little older. Mm-hmm. They could be left alone. Um, So I would leave and go do comedy, come back, do the same thing every day. And then weekends, you know, hopefully you get a little spot that pays you some money, a little couple bucks here and there. Um, But mostly it's just grinding. It's just paying your dues and putting in that time and writing the jokes to get to your five minutes, to your 10 minutes, to your 15 minutes and just building. I heard someone say yesterday, standing in line at the open mic, I like to do 10 minute sets at open mics because... I, you know, and everybody lo- loves longer sets. The problem is, is if you go to an open mic as an audience member and you have 10 minutes of every open micer, it's going to be a very quick turnaround for you or anybody else who shows up there. Because unless you have really funny people for those 10 minutes, you've got 10 minutes of somebody trying yeah. to go off the cuff rambling and it's yeah. not going to be good. Dude, the worst is seeing somebody go up and you can tell they're just like, I'm just going to talk about my day and it's going to be hilarious. Oh and my you're God, just like, you just didn't even Yeah. Don't talk about your day. Nobody gives a fuck what right, you didn't did. You, didn't you think of some jokes? I mean, at least show me you know one. Yeah, at least at least write a joke about your day. Like, right. You know. At least let me see one real joke. And I don't know if there's like a war against writing a real joke anymore or whatnot, but that's what it looks like. But just, just write one and then go ahead and try and go off the cuff and try and get that skill. I don't mind, but just let me know you have at least one of the skills yeah. that puts you up on that stage, you know. What uh, the OR for me upstairs mm-hmm. is the best room for me to. It has been the best room for me to learn how to disguise jokes mm. as conversation. Right. To make it look more conversational. What room would you say that is? What room would you say was the best, most influential on your career in terms of that? Of being able to just make it look like a conversation. Mm. Is there one for you? I don't know that there is one for me. I I still have my very first time I ever did comedy. 
mm-hmm. on VHS, of course, because oh, really? that's what was hot then. I, I, rec- I put it on a disc, too, but, you know, the quality is just crap when you go from VHS. But it's I watched it. It's it's terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's the first time, but there, there was an actual jokes in there that I'd written. One joke I wrote when I was in high school, <clears throat> and I ended up using it. And mind you, I didn't start comedy until I was 28 years old. Mm-hmm. So um, I just, I'd still use that joke. I can use that joke today. It's timeless. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't use it that much anymore uh, if I do use it at all. But um, I could. So I had real jokes there, and I was doing crowd work, right? It was just an instant thing. Yeah. But I was always the funny guy in my family. I have a huge family, and, and they're all really funny. And so you had to be sharp and quick in my family to, to even get anything in, to say anything. Right. So I was doing that off the, you know, just like quickly. And that's when Jason Stewart invited me to come back and host that weekend after my very first open mic I went up. And I came back with the same jokes that weekend and died. Like, yeah. this is a... This is an audience that wasn't ready to give you any leeway because they don't know it's your first time. Yeah. Or they don't care. And I went with those same jokes. They weren't working. I introduced the feature really quickly. I don't even think he was ready, game booking, to get up on the stage. And then, you know, probably because I set him up so poorly with my inexperience, he did really poorly himself for about 25 minutes. And then I went up again and I was like see I wasn't that bad after all <laughs> and uh, so I made an enemy for life with that feature yeah. <laughs> and then you know luckily the headliner was strong enough to to, you know that's what you get paid to do when you're a headliner you gotta come in and save the show sometimes yeah. hopefully it goes like you want it to just right. progresses northward but sometimes they just take a crap in the middle when you have an inexperienced yeah. uh, uh, MC but, and you're right that's what you're getting paid for is to deal that's what people right. That's what people, sorry if I interrupted you, but that's what people don't realize when they come up to you after shows and they tell the feature or the opener or whatever, like, you were the funniest, I enjoyed you the most, or whatever. It's like, not only is that rude, but you have no fucking idea how much harder the headliner's job is. Yeah. Sometimes you have to follow a really hot middle. Sometimes you follow some fucker who's doing nothing but crowd work. Sometimes you follow somebody who's doing nothing but filthy crowd work. Sometimes you're doing somebody who does 40 minutes instead of 25. What do you mean filthy? Sometimes you're... The drinks and the fucking people getting drunk and the tabs coming out and all that. You have to deal with a lot of shit. You're doing, doing an a hour. Spot. Oh, how do I feel about dirty? Yeah, like um, when, when your middle comes in and they're just totally just like filthy. blue, like uh, barroom blue, and you come out and you got your cute opener. <laughs> you know? What do you think about those? Um, it's usually inexperience. It's usually a lack of joke writing and inexperience on that middle. And it's shock value for me. I get it in a bar room setting. Yeah. But in a club, if you're middling for me and you come out just bar room blue, I, you're never going to open for me again. Yeah, it's definitely not uh, ideal. I, I can't... I haven't had to deal with it a lot. Sometimes sometimes I do, and I just kind of... It's usually an inexperienced booker that where that happens. Yeah. You know, a produced show, maybe, or some, some inexperience somewhere along the line. What I hate more than dirty is when they're just being trying to be shocking, and I also yeah. hate when the audience seems to like it. Because then I'm like, ah, I, I, like I got nothing for these guys. You like this bullshit? I don't even want to. I don't want to hit you with anything <laughs> smart. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean by that. It's uh, and once they take it there, it seems like there's nowhere to go. It's Thunderdome yeah. now. Yeah. Now you got to get in there and fall yeah. on the sword with just blue dirty. I'll just go super dirty. And I'll be like, what? You loved it. 
Yeah, the audience has never, for whatever reason, wanted me to be... Every time I go, even a little, like, blue or... Some words, some words, audiences don't seem to want to hear out of me. Yeah, some stuff you know? just doesn't look authentic to people, too. Yeah. Some language just doesn't suit people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some stuff, I don't remember who was on stage last night, but they were saying something, and it was funny, but it was gross. So there's something, and maybe it comes out in me because there's something inside me that's just like, ugh. Oh. Like, I almost feel like, like I'm the old lady in this situation, you know, like... Like, what's wrong with you? I get that. You're so nasty, nice, you know, like, I'm being the... And it's weird, too, because that same joke, one night could be hilarious, and then they go somewhere else that same night, different audience, and it's like, ugh. Yeah. You just never know. You never know what you're getting into. Um, you should be able to base some of your jokes or, you know, suit it around an audience. I mean, you should be able to know where you're at. And what you're doing, yeah. right? If you don't even have that kind of situational awareness, then you probably shouldn't be, you know, performing for money. You should still be practicing at that point. Yeah. Do you uh, do you have one gig in your mind that stands out as the worst you've ever done in your whole career? No, but what I I have bad shows. I mean, if anybody ever tells you they don't have bad shows, they're oh, full shit. of crap yeah. for sure. But what I always reasoned with myself was like, hey, man, you never had two bad in a row. So when you had a bad show, at least you came back and you sprung back and you had this great show. Man, I took this hiatus for like three months. Yeah. And I came and I had a, a fairly decent show. You know, I was forgetting some of my jokes. Months? No. Okay. And um, I had this, you know, a couple jokes went, went well, but I stumbled over my jokes. I was like, all right, I need more practice, but at least it wasn't bad. I went to the show that I had notoriously done well at, right? And everybody was happy on there. And then I went up there and died, right? So now I'm, like, embarrassed. It's hometown, and I just stank it up in front of everybody uh, who actually liked me at the time. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, at least I won't have too bad in a row. And then I went the next night and had a, a just a crap show, man. And I was like, what am I doing? Same place? No, it was a different place, too. And... Um, I was like, what am I doing, man? Should I just pack it in? Is this it? I, I suck now. You know, um, but no, it's just practice. That's why, you know, we'll always tell you practice, practice, practice. You're not going to go disappear for five years and come back and be a headliner. Yeah. You're not, you still have to pay those dues in that time. You have to be there. We know your face. We, it's a small community. We see everybody who's there. It's, if you're not there, you're insignificant. Yeah. Eating it is the worst, especially like it's like some place like you said, like where you invite. Like if you go back to your hometown and there's some open mic and they're like, "Oh, this guy's a headliner all over the country. He started out here. Please welcome, you know, dickhead." And you go up there and just eat shit, and they're like, or or the fear of it. Even if you don't eat shit, that I get more nervous about stuff like that than than like real shows. Oftentimes, I think I think that's the fear now. I'm like, what are you even? Is eating shit at a place that I usually do well at? Because yeah. there's a place that I usually eat shit at, so I just treat it like an open mic. It's a, I wish they'd quit booking me for it. Honestly, it's I don't I don't know that I'm eating shit. It's just you're so far removed from the audience, you really can't hear if you're laughing or not. And yeah. then it's surrounded by seating, outdoor seating of <clears throat> a restaurant that's eating, and so it's they don't give a crap about you or the show that's going on in this venue. They're just eating loudly in a big group setting there, so. It's always weird doing shows like that where you think <clears throat> you're eating it, and by all 
they come up and you're like, you did great. You're yeah, like, what? you were really funny. And you're like, seriously? Like, I didn't hear it. <laughs> I didn't hear it. Yeah. Um, see, some rooms you can't, you can't hear. But yeah, I, I, um, I book rooms sometimes too. I like to do it in my hometown, obviously. Um, so I have family and friends that come out. And if you eat it there, you're never going to hear the end of it. These are people that love you and have zero fucks to give about hurting your feelings. Yeah. You know? They were going to tell you exactly where you went wrong and what you should have did better yeah. to be a comedian because they have so much experience. But, uh, yeah, that's the risky one, bringing a girlfriend yeah. to a show. My family's very deadpan, a lot of them. Uh-oh. So a lot of times they'll come and just stare at me. And then after the show, they're like, yeah, great job. You're great. And I'm like, fuck you. you I saw laugh. your face the whole time. What about when you were trying jokes on your parents growing up? Did they ever laugh? Um, I didn't really try jokes on them. I just... I don't know. I mean, I think I realized pretty young that I was funny and all that. I was like the funniest and voted funniest in my middle school and that right. kind of shit. But um, I never tried jokes out on my parents. I did I did other things to entertain them, I guess. I could always do voices. Right. And, and that's where I realized, that's when I first realized like I was funny. Because people would always be like, Timmy, do this. Did you ever make do up that? any of your own characters? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. And to this day, the funniest ones I do are all made up. Like I don't, I don't really do impressions, but like all my prank calls are like my own original. Right. Just some stupid voice I've been doing my whole life. And I've got you know that kid coming in a few months. I I cringe sometimes thinking about like all the shit that I say and all the different voices I use. You know. Right. He's gonna go to school and be like. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna be like, where the fuck are you from? What kid? if he wants to do comedy when he gets older? Will you let him? Uh, sure. I'll let really? him do anything he has a, uh, uh, anything he has a, that he's good at, and you know, I'll I'll nurture whatever he wants to do. Right. Um. You know, everyone thinks I'm gonna make him wrestle and all this stuff, and I'll definitely want him to, just because it's something I know a lot about, and it's a great sport for a lot of reasons. But yeah, I think I would let him do stand up if they wanted to, and and, and yeah. I know now there's so many. Like, if I could redo my career, there's so many things I wouldn't do. So in that aspect, I could be like, yeah, don't waste your fucking time doing this. And he'll do it anyway because you won't be able to tell him anything. Yeah, there's there's that aspect of it, too. (laughs) But, you know, you never know. If one thing gets through, then... I, I don't know how I feel about nepotism in comedy. You know, I think it's hard for stand up comics children to come and do it. I know that, you know, there's a few out there like you know yeah, the percentage Pryor of people that are actually actually funny would probably be pretty small wouldn't it i don't know i just think it would be harder for them period just because of that stigmatism sure. i would go out under a different name especially being Pryor's kid i mean i think there's got to be some level of like good that comes from it as far as opportunity goes but then once that opportunity happens you have to produce otherwise yeah. you know you're just you got to have a better product you can't come out and, and do your dad's jokes or your yeah. mom's jokes if they're famous. Well, even to- Tony Rock um, told me one night, this was very early in his career, I was like, so is it a good thing or a bad thing to be Chris Rock's brother? But I think like, siblings a blessing are and a better. Curse, I think siblings are a lot better as far as that goes instead of parents. Yeah. I think siblings are easier because it's that same time period. You know, even Jordan. Jordan Rock is funny too. Jordan's hilarious. So okay. all three brothers are doing stand-up, and, you know, Jordan's now in movies, too. I think Tony's hilarious. You know, he was hosting, Yeah, he's really funny. Good yeah, dude, too. Yeah, uh, hosting the Apollo shows. That I mean, he's hilarious. They're all funny. 
Uh, Chris obviously is hilarious, um, but the you know, as far as nepotism goes, I'm talking about parents. So when your parents, they have all that time of being famous, and then you come in and you have to make a name for yourself. Yeah. So I think it's probably easier in some other fields, but comedy is really exposing. You know, comedy is different than other celebrity. Uh, comedy is different than other celebrity in the fact that, like, if celebrities have a scandal, uh, they disappear for about 20 years. Yeah. If a comic has a scandal, it's their set for the next 20 years. Yeah. You know, so it's a different kind of... Do you like Louis C.K., and do you think he'll make a comeback from his discretions? I, I, I think he'll make a comeback from his discretions. I think that part of... Part of... We can't... Like just isolate everybody forever. The good thing about Louis C.K. is he admitted everything. Yeah. So and and there were certain things he could have fought about that or whatever. He did fight it for a long time. So that's kind of, you, you know what I mean. I feel bad for all the people who tried to expose him and he, he put them out. But I I think that he did admit things and he apologized, which is a great step. I mean, I wish other people would take that example. And if I've ever done anything, let me just apologize right now. I think right. that clears me right up to today. Uh, but but no, I, I mean, I don't know that you're finished forever. I hope not, because if that's where we're at as society, then there's no, there's no reason to try and uh, attain it. You know, there's got to be some level of, uh, I mean, he, he I don't, I don't uh, condone what he did at all. I don't have, you know, I don't hold his art responsible for his personal being i think we need to quit associating people that we think are funny with a hero because they're not we're all yeah we have probably more demons than anybody that makes us comedy comedians you know we we take what's miserable and make it funny so i think to be a comedian you had to have a lot of miserable to make it funny yeah and so i just they're, they're not all good people not all comedians are good people i've met some of my closest friends in comedy, um, and they're friends for life. But there's I've also met awful people. Sure. Yep. Just like every profession every, there is. Yep. You know, there's good cops, bad cops, good teachers, shit teachers, principals, right. clergy, you know, fucking everything. Right. Um, I just think his art is, is lasting. I think he could definitely make a comeback because he offered opportunities to many people. Yeah. You know, and I think those opportunities being gone are unfair to those people and who wouldn't want to hear what he has to say oh it should be a doozy yeah it should be a doozy indeed uh ladies and gentlemen we had the tiniest bit of technical difficulty there at the very end of this podcast but we were uh pretty much done with it we did i just lopped off or we missed rather um justin i wanted to make sure and and uh let you know where you can find him. It's it's at Comedian Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. Justin Hayes is his name, H-A-Y-E-S. Very funny dude. It was great to have him. Um, fun conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you listen to next week's episode with Maranzio Vance that I recorded this afternoon. Maranzio is one of the funniest guys on the planet, and I was literally crying the entire episode. So make sure you guys check that out uh, next week. This will be up in a matter of hours. And as always, thanks for listening. Make sure you check out timgathercomedy.com for my upcoming dates, September 14th and 15th. I am going to be at Joker, excuse me, Penguins in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And the 7th and 8th, I'll be at a club in uh, outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas called The Grove. 
And at the end of the month, September 26th through the 30th, I will be at the St. Louis Funny Bone. Haven't been there in a few years. I'm looking forward to coming back. Great club. And yeah, TimGatherComedy.com is always going to make it happen. M-A-C-A-N, ithappen.com. Help out little bow making. And I really appreciate all of you guys for listening and your support. And that's it. God bless all of you. Bye-bye.